Chapter Thirteen: The Story of Prince Sincere. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Old Old Fairy Tales by Laura Valentine. The Story of Prince Sincere. There was once upon a time in the country of Zinzolentines a king who had an extreme passion for silkworms. He spent whole days in his gardens gathering mulberry leaves for their nourishment. The remainder of his time he spent in his closet, watching those little animals at work and making skeins of the silk they had spun, for he could find no one to do this to his satisfaction. In fact, no one could perform this office so well as his majesty. He frequently made presents of his skeins to the lords of his court, most of them, of course, silkworm fanciers, as they, like all true courtiers, gloried in imitating their sovereign. Now what was the consequence of all this? Politeness and wit abandoned an abode where they were so slightly esteemed. Rudeness and folly seized upon the youth of the court, and weariness or ennui fell to the lot of its fairest ladies. Hopeless of having their charms and accomplishments appreciated by men who only understood and admired the beauty of silkworms and the fineness of their silk. Nearly all the ladies retired into the distant provinces of the kingdom. In one of these there was formed a little court, not of princes, not of dukes, nor even of marquises, from neglect and rudeness, but of persons of a less elevated grade, who, possessing none of the above titles, were not the less worthy men on that account. At this little court were to be found refined tastes and virtuous principles. Its inhabitants cultivated the sciences and enjoyed all reasonable pleasures without ever banishing that delicacy which constitutes their principal charm. In a word, they were in all things the exact reverse of those who composed the court of his silk-winding majesty, from which the queen was one of the first who retired. She had a very fine castle, situated in a forest near the seashore. This castle she chose for her residence, and having bade the king adieu, to whom her departure caused no great uneasiness, she set out, accompanied by the two princesses, who were the sole fruits of her marriage with the king, and a few of her attendants, of whose zeal and affection she was assured. The solitude of the castle did not disgust her. She embellished it by tasteful improvements and made it a charming abode by uniting within and about it some of the most beautiful objects of nature and the most perfect productions of art. Surrounded by persons whom she loved, she enjoyed in this retirement a tranquil repose to which she had before been a stranger. The princesses also were delighted with their abode. They were fond of music, and among their train were several who cultivated that art with the most brilliant success. These two young ladies were equally beautiful in face as in figure, yet were they not equally amiable. The elder, whose name was Catherine, was proud, envious, revengeful, and cruel. The younger was gentle and affectionate, and her greatest pleasure was to oblige. In her heart and in her mind she had a thousand charming qualities which made her beloved by all who had the happiness to know her. She consequently deserved the characteristic name of Amy. She was affectionately attached to her sister, though she was not ignorant that she was disliked by her. One day, 
after enduring a torrent of reproaches from Catherine because she would not appear in an unsuitable dress at a masked ball at which a numerous assemblage was expected amy took a solitary walk by the seashore to dissipate the sorrow that her sister's ill-humour had engendered Catherine, filled with anger at her sister's non-compliance with her wishes went also to walk in a neighbouring forest that she might devise a dress to appear in at the ball which should eclipse in brilliancy that of amy filled with these thoughts she had walked some distance from the castle without perceiving that she had gone much farther than she had intended weariness at length obliged her to seat herself at the foot of an old oak tree whose foliage formed a shade impenetrable to the rays of the sun accidentally examining the immense size and thickness of the trunk of this oak Catherine discovered a little key concealed between the bark and the wood she took it in her hand unable to divine what could be its use and why it was there and then endeavoured to replace it after trying to do so two or three times unsuccessfully she pushed the key into a hole that she observed when immediately the key turned round of itself a little door flew open which was sunk in the tree with infinite art and the door being opened discovered a staircase Catherine, curious to know where it could lead determined to descend the first steps were very obscure but as she descended she noticed with surprise that the staircase was lighted by numerous waxen tapers placed in rock crystal lustres the princess continued to descend and having gone down more than three hundred steps she came to a magnificently furnished apartment it will be said that it is astonishing and almost impossible that a young person of her sex should be sufficiently adventurous thus to enter alone into an unknown cavern but i must inform my readers of a fact of which i possess undoubted evidence which will cause their wonder to cease namely that Catherine wore on her little finger a ring that had been bequeathed to her by her grandfather on his deathbed which would preserve her until her twentieth year from every species of danger persuaded therefore that she had nothing to fear she walked onward until she came to a large cabinet or rather a storeroom of rare jewels and precious stones Catherine paused to examine the rarities she saw around her when her eye chancing to alight on a bed of cloth of silver standing in a kind of recess or grotto what was her astonishment to observe posing thereon the handsomest young man she had ever beheld he seemed to be buried in a profound sleep Catherine approached to consider the sleeper more attentively this curiosity cost her dearly for from that moment she was no longer mistress of herself convinced as all pretty women are that no one could see her without loving her she did not hesitate to awaken the charming unknown with the hope of inspiring him with that tenderness which she already felt for him accordingly she made a slight noise in passing into the next apartment so that he might not think she had awakened him designedly on entering this room she found a written paper containing the following words she only who shall be able to inspire the ugliest of mortals with the passion of love can make an impression on the heart of the prince who reposes here the princess Catherine perused this paper several times and flattered herself that her charms were quite powerful enough to affect the sleeper without her being obliged to seek out the ugliest of men in order to inspire him with a hopeless passion 
Filled with this self-confidence, she was about to re-enter the cabinet, not doubting that she should find the unknown awake, when a spider's web through which it was impossible to see any object distinctly opposed her ingress directly, she approached the door. So slight an obstacle shall not prevent my entrance, said Catherine, and she endeavored to pass. But, notwithstanding all her efforts, she could not succeed in lifting or breaking through the web. Astonished to find such strength in so apparently slight a fabric, she resolved to reascend into the forest to return to the queen and have a search made for this ugliest of all ugly men, whom it was necessary to inspire with love ere she could hope to be beloved by the charming person she had just seen. Accordingly, she retraced her steps through all the apartments, ascended the staircase, passed out by the door in the tree, which was remaining open as she had left it. And no sooner was she in the open air than the door closed of itself so effectually that she could not observe exactly where it was, nor could she find the little key again. She walked several times round the oak with this view, but she could not succeed. Desperate at this last circumstance, she turned toward the castle, and as she was walking on the seashore, observed the princess Amy, her sister, attentively examining a diamond of surprising size and beauty. A bird had just let it fall on her dress, telling her to keep it very carefully, as it would one day preserve her in a moment of great danger. Catherine, enchanted with the beauty of this admirable jewel, wished to have it in her possession, but attempting to snatch it from Amy, she was prevented by a little man from behind her, whose frightful appearance made both the princesses take flight and run for shelter into the forest. The little man was three feet high. His very large and flat head was thatched with lank red hair. His eyes were sunk in his head, and of such small dimensions that they would have been indistinguishable but for the bright red with which they were bordered. His nose was red and pointed. His cheeks hung as low as his breast, and his mouth and chin were graced by a long and bushy red beard. His ill-shapen body was supported by a single leg, on which it was balanced as on a pivot. But so nice was its equilibrium, that the slightest breath of wind made it turn round continually, for which reason he went out in very calm weather only. He did not walk at all, but hopped with wonderful agility, and by many little hops he soon arrived wherever he wished to go. Catherine, recovered from the fear that the little monster had occasioned her, soon returned to him, and in an ill-humoured tone asked who he was, and what could have made him daring enough to oppose her desires. I am a powerful king, answered the deformed, and my name is sincere. Reasons which I cannot disclose to you have banished me for a time from my dominions, and have obliged me to pass my time in the hollow of a rock, situated not very far from hence. I have seen you several times in this charming neighborhood. I have frequently noticed your unkind proceedings toward the princess, your sister, and I have only just prevented another injury you would have committed in taking from her a diamond, which is her property. My natural love of justice, joined to an impulse that I dare not declare, induced me to take your sister's part and to prevent your doing her that wrong. Catherine heard the prince's long answer to her question with extreme impatience. However, she dissembled her anger, on reflecting that the speaker could not possibly be equal for ugliness, 
and that consequently she ought to neglect nothing to please him, since it was written that on that condition only could she inspire a passion for herself in the person whom she now so dearly loved. Accordingly, assuming a more gentle air, she told Sincere that the rank of king and the unfortunate condition to which he appeared to be reduced compelled her to pardon him, that she even desired the honor of his friendship, which she flattered herself he would not refuse. She then invited him to the castle, assuring him that the queen, when she should learn of his quality, would doubtless offer him apartments in which he might tranquilly reside, until fortune should cease to persecute him. The king politely thanked her, and told her that he was too well aware of his excessive ugliness to dare to flatter himself with the hope of obtaining the friendship of so beautiful a princess, or of residing at a court where he knew that the deformity of his figure could never be forgiven. Having expressed himself to this effect, the king made Catherine a bow, and hopped away, sighing, and looking toward the amiable Amy, whom the presence of her sister had kept at a short distance during this conference. Amy had, however, overheard her sister's conversation with Sincere, and had been as much surprised at the affected kindness of the Princess Catherine as at her having invited him to the castle. She therefore reluctantly concluded that the princess had only assumed a show of mildness as a cloak to some wicked design. The pity that Amy felt for all who were unfortunate made her resolve immediately to warn the king that he should not place too much confidence in her sister's apparent friendship, and it was with some impatience she perceived that her engagements would compel her to defer until the morrow the execution of her project. But the next day, accompanied by a female attendant, Amy left the castle and took the road leading to Sincere's Rock, at which she had nearly arrived when she heard someone singing a song, the words of which appeared to be addressed to herself. She stopped to listen. The tone of the voice she heard was so melodious and so pleased her ear that she remained riveted in the spot for some time after the song had ceased, until Cecily, her attendant, dispelled her reverie by informing her that Sincere was coming toward them. Although Amy had made up her mind to regard him without fear, she nevertheless found that she could not look upon him without trembling, and immediately turned away her face. Sincere appeared to observe her emotion with sorrow, but saluting her very respectfully, he invited her to walk into his rustic palace to repose herself. Amy accepted his courtesy, telling his majesty at the same time that she had come purposely to his grotto, that she might inform him of something of great importance. The king offered her his hand as gracefully as he could, and led her toward his grotto, entertaining her with the most lively conversation. The princess could never have imagined a person so ugly as Prince Sincere with a mind so lively and penetrating. Everything he said, too, was pronounced in a tone that so charmed the princess that she could not help wishing over and over again that if ever she had a lover he might be possessed of the intelligence and graceful spirit of this unfortunate. At last she came to the rock which contained Sincere's grotto. It was carpeted with soft green moss. Within it was a table formed by a slab of white marble of which nature had been the only artificer while a bed and a few turf seats were the only furniture that Sincere's residence contained. 
a cascade of fresh and pure water fell from the height of the rock and formed a small streamlet whose gentle murmur with the melodious songs of the nightingales perched among the branches of an orange tree laden with blossoms and fruit sounded more charmingly in the princess's ears than the finest concert she had ever heard after praising his pleasant retreat amy unfolded to sincere her reasons for paying him this visit the prince charmed at the interest she took in what concerned himself was very eloquent in the expressions of his gratitude some words even escaped him which made it sufficiently apparent that his heart was filled with the most tender love amy remarked them but feigned not to understand that they were addressed to herself and by way of changing the subject of conversation she informed the king with what satisfaction she had overheard a charming voice shortly before she saw him and asked him if he were acquainted with the person who sang so well it is a prince who adores you answered sincere and who would make you an offer of his heart his hand and the crown that he will one day wear but that his form forbids him to hope sincere sighed as he said these words the princess blushed and not doubting that it was of himself he spoke questioned him no further and became very thoughtful shortly afterward she quitted the grotto fearful that her absence might be noticed she walked in the direction of the palace observing to sicily that she thought sincere was a very intelligent man i protest my dear sicily said she i feel for him notwithstanding his deformity what i never felt for any one before what madam said the astonished attendant is it possible that you can regard the little monster with any other feeling than horror nay that you should even feel anything like affection for such a creature surely you could never resolve to live with him what could you do with so hideous a being the smallest wind makes him turn round like a weathercock ah said the young princess amy but then he thinks with such vivacity and speaks with so much eloquence that i should prefer him to the handsomest man in the world handsome men are nearly always wretchedly stupid and too much in love with themselves they pay greater devotion to their looking-glasses than to our sex the princess would have continued but at that moment she heard a cry that stopped her and looking on the ground she saw with much surprise a white viper darting fire from its eyes which spoke to her as follows madame you were about to crush me beneath your feet if i were not so forgiving as i am i should punish you for your thoughtlessness but i pardon you on condition that you place me on the trunk of the large chestnut tree near you from the branches of which i have just fallen one of these days i shall acknowledge the service for i am a fairy though in common with all my sisters i am obliged to quit my natural shape one day in every week and assume that form which may be ordained by an old sorcerer from whom we derive our power and who punishes us in this way for having one day while he slept cut off his beard and mustachios which were extremely displeasing objects this evening i shall resume my usual form and you will hear from me amy took the viper tremblingly in her hand when it had ceased to speak placed it on the tree and hastily left the spot unwilling to look again on an animal that had caused her so much fear she then made the best of her way to the castle where on arriving she learned that catherine had just dispatched a courier 
with a message from the queen inviting king sincere to come and spend a few days at the palace this at first alarmed amy who was acquainted with her sister's wickedness but her uneasiness was soon dissipated for one of catherine's attendants to whom that princess had confided her adventure informed her of what had taken place in the forest sincere was as you may suppose surprised at the queen's invitation his first impulse was courteously to refuse it but on reflecting that by accepting it he would be enabled to see the beautiful princess with whom he was in love every day he resolved to set out and hopped into a little calash that had been sent for his accommodation his arrival was awaited at the castle with great impatience arising however from widely different motives the ladies of the court being curious to see a man who was unlike all other men catherine anxious to make a conquest of him for the sake of gaining the sleeper and amy looking for his arrival in the hope of enabling the wretched man to pass at least some days agreeably at last he arrived and was received with all the honors due to his rank catherine who welcomed him very benignantly was magnificently dressed and looked so well that but for her sister she might have been pronounced the most beautiful woman in the universe she was therefore much mortified to observe that in spite of all her blandishments sincere was insensible to her charms and that his regards were constantly directed toward amy her anger was boundless to think that having done all in her power to please the ugliest man in the world she was yet unable to succeed whatever offends the self-love of the ladies is never forgiven accordingly she became infuriated against the prince and her sister what would she not have given to have prevented their seeing each other however that was impossible for the king being at liberty to speak to amy availed himself of every opportunity of so doing while it was obvious that amy was no unwilling auditor and could not deny herself the pleasure of listening to sincere as the princess amy was one evening walking in an avenue in the park she observed a ball rolling toward her very quickly it stopped directly it was within a yard or two of her and opening of itself there issued from it a little woman who continued to increase in size until she was ten or twelve feet high i am the fairy severe said she addressing amy whom you were kind enough to assist a few days ago amy recognized her for the fairy darted fire from her eyes as did the white viper she had placed upon the tree and accordingly she saluted her very respectfully severe proceeded to inform amy that the friendship she felt for that princess had induced her to demand her hand in marriage of the queen for the king of the butterflies her nephew who was the most amiable man in the world i have just left the queen's closet concluded the fairy and i have obtained your mother's consent his majesty will arrive here in two or three days to make you his queen this information which would have afforded much pleasure to many princesses sensibly afflicted the young amy she was so much grieved at hearing it that she was unable to utter a word in answer to the fairy severe imagining that joy prevented her speaking kissed her forehead then bidding her adieu she re-entered her ball which returned in the direction it had come at this moment sicily brought the princess word that the queen wished to speak with her accordingly she hastened to her mother who without giving her time to speak ordered her to prepare herself to receive the king of the butterflies as her husband 
at the end of two days amy threw herself at her mother's feet and conjured her to recall the promise she had made to severe the queen however was inflexible she dreaded the power of the fairies and hopeful that severe would one day confer on her some mark of her friendship she told her daughter that she would be obeyed amy dared not reply and retired in deep affliction catherine who at any other time would have been jealous of the fairy's preference for her sister was delighted at the attended match flattering herself that when sincere no longer saw amy he must fall in love with herself this sorrowful news was not long in reaching the ears of that unfortunate king and it affected him to such a degree that he fell dangerously ill meanwhile the day arrived on which the fairy's nephew was to be presented the queen the princesses and all the court went out to receive him and had no sooner reached the terrace than they perceived afar off a very brilliant-looking kind of cloud which was rapidly approaching the castle it immediately struck them that this must be the prince and the conjecture proved to be well founded the king of the butterflies was coming seated in a diamond chariot drawn by upward of ten thousand butterflies all of a delicate rose color they were harnessed to the chariot by traces of fine gold thread interwoven with consummate skill a hundred young lords followed their master in kailashes of rock crystal set with emeralds and rubies drawn likewise by butterflies but the latter were quite white when the king's chariot arrived near the place where the ladies were standing his majesty alighted in their presence his suit attending him in admirable order he was richly dressed and never was dandy more powdered or better curled than his majesty he must have passed at least three hours at his toilet and his dread of disarranging his curls made him walk very gently however this did not prevent his appearing to great advantage and everybody admired him the ladies making observations to each other as to the delicate whiteness of his complexion and hands nothing could exceed the symmetry of his shape with which indeed he himself seemed to be not a little enamoured he easily recognised the princess amy by a portrait which had been given to him by the fairy and having approached that young lady he made her a very formal bow and presenting his arm said to her this is not a proper place charming amy to compliment you on your beauty the air is too sultry is it possible to converse at one's ease on a terrace exposed to the melting rays of the sun therefore let us enter the palace and not risk our being turned black as ethiopians and almost without saluting the queen and the ladies of her suite the king of the butterflies turned toward the castle having entered with the princess amy and those who accompanied her into a large saloon which had been prepared for his reception he threw himself on a sofa observing that he was stifled with heat and then he lolled at full length in a position anything but graceful however he was polite enough to ask the princess's pardon for his apparent disrespect assuring her that he was in absolute want of repose and that he must be a little cooler before he could resolve to speak to her on the important subject of his coming thereupon he drew sundry diamond-smelling and essence bottles from his pocket and poured some perfume on his hands then pulling out two or three jewelled gold boxes he took snuff and commenced humming a little air 
which having concluded, he asked Amy whether she did not think his equipage was very splendid, and whether his dress, which he had selected from among two hundred, was to her taste, finishing by relating to her the history of the numberless ladies who were dying of love for him. It is easy to judge whether such topics were gratifying to the fair Amy, she who preferred wit and good sense to every charm of person, and who was quite different from the generality of her sex, on whom a magnificent suit of clothes, a dashing figure, and a few other equally worthless attractions make more impression than an amiable heart and an enlightened understanding. Accordingly, she conceived so great an aversion for the King of the Butterflies that she was obliged to quit the saloon, stating that she was unwell, and retire to her apartment, there to conceal her sorrow and her tears. Although Sincere was unwell, on hearing of Amy's illness, he contrived to drag himself to her apartment to inquire after her health. When the Princess Amy saw him, she sighed and said, Ah, Prince, why has not the Queen destined me to be yours? Are you unable to snatch me from him to whom they would by force unite me? Sincere, enraptured, seized her hand, and kissing it tenderly, said, What, beautiful Amy, is it possible that you would rather live with me? Than with a prince whose handsome face, person, and manners are universally admired? Deformed as I am, can I be so fortunate as not to be hateful to your sight? In mercy, answer me. Your reply will decide on the happiness or misery of my life. Yes, sir, said the charming Amy. Know that I love you. This confession, she would have spoken further, but sincere, hopping backward, became gradually smaller and smaller, until at last he was quite invisible. A heavy cloud of smoke then appeared, where he had lately stood, which slowly, clearing away, the princess discovered an extremely handsome young man, whose looks, at once majestic, benignant, and intelligent, inspired her with a certain indescribable emotion, which engaged her heart in his favor the moment their eyes met. The Princess Amy continued for some time to regard him with equal admiration and surprise, but her astonishment increased tenfold when the stranger addressed to her, in the most respectful manner, the following words. The charming avowal you have just made, madam, has forever ended my enchantment. I am the Prince Sincere, who, under my former wretched form, was rash enough to tell you he adored you. Amy recognized him by the tone of his voice, and giving vent to her joy at finding him so different from what he had hitherto appeared, she entreated Sincere to inform her how such a strange metamorphosis had been brought about. I am the sovereign, answered the prince, of the island of sincerity, and when the event I am about to relate to you happened, I was reigning over that island very peaceably, beloved by all my subjects. One day, at the chase, as I was very eagerly pursuing a lion, which had escaped me several times, I unconsciously lost my way. I found myself in a shady walk, when, on looking around me, I observed a woman shaped exactly, madam, as you have always hitherto seen me. I gazed on her in astonishment, and I could not forbear laughing to see her turn round on her single leg like a weathercock. She perceived my mirth and in an angry voice asked what amused me. Politeness forbade my telling her, but she pressed me so closely that I at last confessed that her singular figure had provoked my laughter. 
My candor displeased her. She knit her brows, and after throwing two or three somersaults in the air, said, As a punishment for your insolence, I ordain that your form shall become similar to mine, and no power shall restore your proper shape until you meet with a young princess, in whom are united wit, good nature, and beauty, for whom you shall feel a violent love, and who, notwithstanding your deformity, shall be inspired with sufficient passion for yourself to make you, unasked, an avowal of her tenderness. You will, however, resume your natural form during the space of one hour every day, but it shall only take place in a certain cavern situated in a forest in the dominions of the silkworm fancying king. I ordain further that you shall not be permitted to apprise any person whatever of your misfortune until your enchantment shall be dispelled. I listened very patiently to this threatening speech, believing that it would not be followed by any effects. But what was my grief when, after this frightful fairy, for fairy she was, had breathed on me, I became as misshapen as herself. My transformation completed, she hopped away laughing with all her might. I dared not return to my palace and state what had occurred, persuaded that I should neither be recognized nor believed. The desire I felt to recover my original form prompted me to travel through many kingdoms and visit many courts in hopes of finding such a princess as the fairy had mentioned, but my travels were attended by no result. I consequently grew tired of searching, and formed the resolution of leading a solitary life in some retired nook far removed from the habitations of my fellow men. I made choice of the rock where you visited me, and I had resided there about a year when I had the happiness of seeing you for the first time. You appeared to me a divinity. I felt that you were the only person who could inspire me with love, though I dared not hope to inspire you with that passion in return. Nor could I even think it possible that you could endure to look upon me. I went occasionally to the cavern in the forest to enjoy the satisfaction of seeing myself for a few minutes in my natural form, as you now see me. One day, I was surprised at being visited there by the princess, your sister, for a talisman opposed the entrance of all mortals into the cavern. I feigned to be asleep that I might avoid speaking to her, and because I felt that the moment of my restoration to my horrible shape was drawing near, and it took place the moment your sister went into the next apartment. I quitted the cavern by an avenue unknown to all save myself. Catherine, however, left it also in the same manner, for it was impossible for her to re-enter the apartment in which she had seen me. She completed her twentieth year while she was in the cavern, and her ring had virtue against talismans until she had attained that age only. There, dearest Amy, is the history of my metamorphosis. It now only remains for me to declare my lasting passion for you, and to entreat you to allow me to solicit your hand of the queen, your mother, and her majesty's permission for you to reign over my dominions, where you will find everybody zealous to obtain your favor. As Sincere ceased to speak, Catherine and Severe, who had overheard the whole of his discourse with Amy, entered the room. Both of them were in transports of rage. 
the fairy because amy preferred another to her nephew and catherine because sincere in whom she recognized the charming young man she had seen in the cavern was in love with her sister she gave vent to her incensed feelings against the two lovers in a torrent of abusive language but severe terminated the dispute by seizing the unfortunate amy by her flowing ringlets and dragging her through the open window while the king in despair was unable to offer the slightest opposition the miserable sincere immediately rushed out of the palace in spite of catherine who would have detained him and without knowing whither he went he hastened onward resolved to take no repose until he should have recovered his dear princess the king of the butterflies on being informed of what had transpired laughed heartily he thought it a very good joke and returned to his kingdom meanwhile his good aunt dragged amy along at immense speed and after scaling many steep rocks and traversing many wide deserts arrived at the base of an old tower the door opened at her bidding and she entered pulling the princess after her severe made amy follow her into a large hall full of snails and told her in a shrill voice that if she would not consent to marry the king of the butterflies she must in the space of eight days teach all these snails to dance or become herself a snail having made this threat severe flew away and the princess gave way to a violent burst of tears without feeling the slightest inclination to obey her let us leave her to weep over her seemingly hopeless task for the present and return to king sincere that prince having passed through several kingdoms came at last to a thick forest on walking a short distance into this forest he perceived a house built entirely of leaves the door of which standing open he saw an old woman seated in an armchair reading aloud to three little children he passed the house without stopping or taking any notice of it and was proceeding on his way when the old woman called after him crying in a cracked voice and shaking her head prince you are searching in vain you will never meet with the princess amy until you shall have first found a brilliant frog an extremely ugly woman who is conscious of her want of beauty and does not attempt to make conquests and a witless man who does not flatter himself that he is clever king sincere rightly judged from these words that the speaker was a fairy so he entreated her to grant him some other and less difficult means of recovering his charming amy but she only answered him by grimaces and burst into a loud fit of laughter the disconsolate prince was consequently obliged to proceed onward though he was extremely fatigued and very much afflicted and quite unconscious as to the road he was taking he met another old woman who asked him what occasioned his grief sincere informed her of his misfortunes not omitting what the fairy he had just left had said to him and adding that he could not flatter himself with the hope of ever seeing his beloved amy again if it were indeed true that happiness depended on his finding a brilliant frog this said he appears to me to be utterly ridiculous even to seek the two other conditions would cause me less uneasiness do not flatter yourself said the good woman they are at least equally difficult to accomplish however by diligent searching 
you may meet with all three of the required curiosities but if at the expiration of a year from this time you shall not have discovered them take my advice and trouble yourself no further for your case will be hopeless go i may not tell you more but do not let my sister whom you have just quitted see you again in this vicinity she is wicked and you might experience some treachery at her hands she has only informed you of the conditions on which you are permitted to withdraw your princess from her place of confinement because she is persuaded that you can never fulfil them the king who had some reason to dread enchantments hastened away as fast as he could and travelled through every kingdom in the world on a horse which he most fortunately found on quitting the wood in every city town village hamlet and castle that he came to he made an indefatigable search for the ugly old women and stupid men he found abundance of both but remarked that none of the ladies were offended with their truth-telling mirrors at the reflection of their ugliness nay that they all conceived it to be quite easy to render themselves still attractive by a slight and judicious use of the most renowned cosmetics some whom he saw painted an inch thick at least others were sundry patches very artfully disposed and all decorated themselves with flowers and ribbons enough to stock a milliner's magazine and flattered themselves that in spite of time they were still very amiable and that they might dispute the palm of beauty with the fairest and the youngest this common effect of self-love on the sex did not surprise the prince he knew that all ladies are endowed from their birth with a tolerably good opinion of themselves but what did indeed astonish him was that he found among the men the same self-love equally strong and with such an addition of little weaknesses as would even make the fair sex itself contemptible he had always heard that man was the most perfect of nature's work and he being a man had given faith to the aphorism without examining it too closely but his opinion on this subject was strangely altered by the opportunities which his travels afforded him to study this creature of perfection more attentively he now observed that the minds of most men were occupied by trifles that many spent their time wholly at the toilet at table at play or what is worse in professing passion where they felt none that others assembled in society not to reason with sense and propriety but to repeat all the nonsense they had heard elsewhere to exchange bonos current in every jest-book and to make a display of the valuable rings jewels and all the finery which their ill-spent incomes placed within their reach he met with some more senseless still who fancying themselves extremely clever were continually arguing without understanding what they talked about or perceiving that they made all who were patient enough to listen to them yawn with fatigue with others who were sanguine enough to hope that they were making themselves agreeable by repeating bad stories that they had already thrust upon their auditors upward of a hundred times while others again who not letting a word fall from their lips because they actually knew not what to say imagined that their silence would be esteemed as a mark of wisdom i should never conclude were i to mention all the different kinds of fools sincere met with in his travels 
Yet could he not among them all find one such as he sought? For there was not one of them who did not think he had wit. In search of the man, the woman, and the frog, he had twice travelled round the world, but each time unsuccessfully, when, beginning to lose all hope of ever finding them, he remembered what the good old woman had told him, and thought that he ought now to renounce life, since life no longer had charms for him. While absorbed in these reflections, he found himself on the banks of a river. The sight of the water offered too favorable an opportunity for self-destruction to pass unnoticed. Accordingly, he plunged into the stream, resolved at once to put a period to an existence that his misfortunes had rendered insupportable. Instead of drowning, however, as he wished and expected, he felt himself gently sinking beneath the waters, and almost immediately alighted on a flowery turf in the middle of a fine garden. At first Sincere thought he must be dreaming, but on assuring himself that he was not asleep, he arose and looked around him in order to discover the inhabitants of these subaqueous regions. The prince walked about for some time in this solitary place. At last he heard the sound of horns and dogs, and in a moment afterward the huntsman burst upon his sight. Never was surprise equal to Sincere's. The huntsmen were so many immense frogs, mounted on large green cats, and they were in chase of a hare. Some of them were dressed in the costumes of Amazons, others wore taffeta gowns and little caps on their heads decked with flowers and feathers. Several of them were sounding horns, while others were hallowing to the dogs. In a word, the sight was at once beautiful and unique. They desisted from hunting on seeing Sincere and alighted from their cats to meet him, walking upright on their two hind legs, and using their two others, as we use our arms. When the troop arrived near the prince, she who appeared to be the mistress of the rest very gracefully saluted him. She wore a long purple gown embroidered with pearls and diamonds, and bore on her forehead so brilliant a mark that the eyes of Sincere could not bear to look on it. "'You are welcome, sir,' said she and your arrival has long been expected. We are all enchanted, and you alone can dissolve the charm. I have not been always in the condition you see me. I formerly reigned over this kingdom, and the frogs you see around me were my subjects. I had so violent an aversion to animals of the frog kind that I gave orders for all found in my kingdom to be put to death. Nothing was neglected that could contribute to the extirpation of these objects of my dislike. But notwithstanding, as I was taking a walk one evening, I discovered one almost under my chamber window. I immediately called my attendants and gave orders for it to be killed. But the frog had disappeared, and had so effectually concealed itself that after the most diligent search it could not be found. I was walking the next day near the same spot, when a very ugly black woman appeared before me. In one hand she held a hazel wand, and in the other a vial full of oil, which having poured on my head, she said, I am the fairy Grenoletta, and the person whom you yesterday so kindly desired to be put to death. Indeed, your orders have exposed me to death a hundred times, but the hour of my vengeance is arrived. Become a frog in your turn, you and all your subjects who have so blindly obeyed you. I ordain that you shall remain under that shape, until a king who shall stand in need of your assistance, 
shall in return restore you to your proper form hardly had the fairy pronounced these words when i was transformed into the creature you see i applied immediately to a fairy who protected me but she was not permitted to disenchant me she described to me however the person who alone had power to do so and told me that he had a white hair in his left eyebrow bestowed on him by a skilful magician at the moment of his birth and which enabled him to dispel all enchantments this fairy has conducted you hither and it was she who under the form of a bird made the princess amy a present of the superb diamond and lastly she it was who took care to place this brilliant mark on my forehead and who will enable you to find a witless man who is aware of his stupidity and a woman who is conscious that her ugliness is insupportable these two extraordinary persons she has brought hither fearful that the self-love which reigns in the world should corrupt them as it has corrupted every one else and thus destroy your hopes you will find them in a little cabin at a short distance from this spot but prince before you visit them pray have the kindness to restore to us our natural shapes and allow us to pull from your eyebrow the famous hair to whose virtue we shall owe our restoration as it will be equally necessary to enable you to effect the deliverance of your princess sincere wanted no more entreating but suffered the hair to be pulled from his eyebrow he took it from the frog and touching her and all those around her therewith they were immediately changed into princes and princesses very good-looking and very amiable the queen and her subjects were sufficiently eloquent in their thanks to king sincere for his kindness at the moment the transformation took place the second old woman that the prince had seen in the wood appeared and told sincere that as a recompense for the service he had just done her friend she would after he had visited the foolish man and the ugly woman who would give him an herb that he would presently have occasion for transport him to the place where his beautiful amy was confined accordingly sincere paid a hasty visit to this singular pair found them to be such as he was in search of and received from them the mysterious herb the kind fairy then took an apple which she changed into a very pretty carriage it travelled without horses at the rate of three hundred miles a minute and is supposed to have been the first swift carriage invented she seated herself therein and placed the prince by her side sincere was charmed with this wonderful vehicle but never will carriage be made to travel fast enough for a lover impatient to rejoin his mistress nevertheless they arrived in an incredibly short space of time at the base of the tower in which the beautiful amy was confined weeping over tasks impossible to perform and which the fairy severe had designed her to afford herself a pretext for tormenting the lovely princess we left amy in her prison weeping over the apparently hopeless task of teaching a quantity of snails to dance and we are now going to inform those who feel any curiosity to learn how the princess performed that difficult exploit from the first seven days she wept unceasingly and gave herself no trouble about the instruction of the scholars that had been placed under her charge but on the eighth day which was that on which the fairy was expected to return for the purpose of changing her into a snail should she not have succeeded her grief was redoubled to think of the time she had thrown away 
However, she determined immediately to give the awkward animals some lessons, but soon saw that all her instructions were useless. Persuaded that her fate was inevitable, she thought seriously of putting an end to her existence, for she preferred death to becoming a snail or marrying the king of the butterflies. With these thoughts in her mind, the miserable Amy threw open the window with the intention of precipitating herself from it. But, fortunately, recalling to her recollection at that moment the ring she had received from a bird, and the words that accompanied the gift, she drew it from her pocket, and regarding it attentively, "'Beautiful, brilliant,' said she, "'if you have the power to rescue me from the danger I am in, I entreat you to put a period to my misfortunes.' Directly the Princess Amy had pronounced these words, the ring opened, and there issued from it a string of little dancing masters and violin players. The latter immediately commenced playing, while the dancing masters arranged the snails in sets and taught them in an instant every kind of dance. Then all the musicians and the masters disappeared. This marvelous occurrence greatly comforted the princess. She wiped away her tears, kissed her ring in a transport of joyful gratitude, and concealed it more carefully than she had previously done, fearful that Severe should learn its value and take it from her. Hardly had the princess placed her ring securely in her bosom, when the wicked fairy arrived and asked her, with a malignant smile, if her scholars were proficient in the art of dancing. "'You shall see, madam,' said Amy, in a mild and timid voice. Then opening the door of the hall that contained them, the princess began to sing. On hearing her voice, all the little animals began to dance, and that so prettily, especially the waltz, gallopade, and saraband, that Severe became at once surprised and furious. The poor princess having succeeded so well in this, the merciless fairy gave her other and still more difficult tasks. But Amy performed them all with the assistance of her ring. Her repeated successes so enraged the fairy against her that she shut Amy in a large iron cage, placed her in a yard full of wild and ravenous beasts, and stationed two terrible dragons to guard the door, who made frightful efforts to break open the cage and devour the princess. The unfortunate princess had been thus confined about a month when she saw Sincere enter the yard. He had easily obtained admission by touching the door with his herb. Amy shuddered at the danger to which her lover was exposed. Directly Sincere saw his mistress in that cruel situation, he put his hand on his sword with the intention of slaying the two dragons. I say put his hand because ere he had time to draw it, the good fairy who had conducted him thither desired him to hold, and to touch them only with the herb which he held in his left hand. Sincere did so, when the dragons immediately fell dead at his feet, and touching the door of the cage with the charmed hair of his eyebrow, he instantaneously felt himself, the princess, and the kind fairy, ascend into the air surrounded by a fleecy cloud, which speedily conveyed the trio to the island of sincerity. The king was immediately recognized by his subjects, who testified such joy at their sovereign's return it showed how severely they must have felt his loss, and how dear he was to them. For his part, in ecstasy at finding himself again with his beloved, he said to her the most passionate things, to which Amy replied with a tenderness quite equal to his own, 
Sincere instantly dispatched ambassadors to the court of the silkworm fancying king to demand the princess in marriage. The ambassadors were not long in executing their commission. On their return they brought intelligence that his silkworm fancying majesty had blown his brains out with a pistol about twelve months before in consequence of being unable to wind an exceedingly entangled skein of silk, that the queen had died six months afterward of the smallpox, and that Catherine had poisoned herself on the day of Sincere's departure in search of his mistress. The princess Amy was very much afflicted on hearing this sorrowful news, and immediately went into mourning for her parents and sister, which she wore for six months. At the expiration of that time she married King Sincere, and they lived together for a long series of years without experiencing the slightest misfortune or ceasing to love each other as tenderly as on the day of their wedding. The beneficent fairy then set out from their court to rejoin Queen Brilliant, her friend, and the hair of the king's eyebrow, which had been to them of such assistance, was set in a golden ring which Sincere wore ever afterward on the third finger of his left hand to preserve him from the malice of fairies. End of chapter 13